Well, we are in series on the character and aspects of Jesus, and uh, being Mother's Day, we're going to look at today how Jesus loved his mom. And I want to begin by telling you the story of the lady who founded Mother's Day. Her name was Anna Jarvis. And a huge acknowledgement right off the top, Uh, I went for a hike about a month and a half ago, and I like to listen to a podcast once in a while called Under the Influence. It's produced by CBC Radio. And uh, Terry O'Reilly is the host. And it's just a fascinating look at business and marketing. And uh, so I was walking along listening to Under the Influence. And this particular podcast was all about inventors who had lost control of their inventions. And uh, Anna Jarvis, the lady who invented Mother's Day, fits into that category. And it's a fascinating story. And so I'm going to tell you how Mother's Day officially began. One day at Sunday school, Anna Jarvis was a little girl, and her mom was the teacher, and the mom talked about all these different women in the Bible. And for week after week, they talked about these amazing women in the Bible, and they highlighted them, and little Anna listened intently, and at the end of kind of those weeks of talking about it, her mom said in a prayer, she said, I hope that one day... God raises up someone to make a special day to honor mothers. Well, years go by, and eventually Anna's mom uh, passes away. Anna herself was 43 years old, and it was a devastating loss to Anna. And Anna thought, you know what? That desire in my mom's heart all those years ago, that someone established a special day for moms, uh, I'm going to do it. And so... In 1908, Anna celebrated the first Mother's Day. She got up in church, gave a speech uh, where her mom had been such a faithful part of the church. And she got up and gave this speech. She designated white carnations as a symbol of mother's love, gave them out to everyone in the congregation. And that was the seed of the beginning of Mother's Day. Now, we can stop right there. I think that's a pretty amazing thing, that this Christian woman was impacted Uh, by all the things she was learning in the Bible, and she had this amazing desire. But the rest of the story is so fascinating, we can't stop there. So the concept of Mother's Day quickly caught on, in part because Jarvis was a prolific letter writer. She wrote to the President of the United States. She wrote to the head of corporations. She wrote to dignitaries, to politicians. This lady's just sending out letters all over the place. And soon... Some very rich backers came along behind her. Uh, In the States, there's Wanamaker's Department Store. And John Wanamaker, didn't it take him too long to figure out, you know what, this whole Mother's Day gig? That's a good thing. And somehow, this is really weird, uh, H.J. Hines, the guy who invented Hines Ketchup, he got behind it. And uh, the floral industry caught on. And Anna Jarvis uh, accepted their donations, spoke at their conventions. And in 1914, American President Woodrow Wilson signed into legislation officially designated Second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. Anna Jarvis had finally realized her dream. And at first, she was thrilled. But as the years went on, it became very obvious that Mother's Day had become a cash cow for corporations. In the beginning, get this, carnations cost half a penny. Within four years of Mother's Day being the official day, 
they were up to 15 cents. That's some serious inflation. Greeting card companies started to issue Mother's Day cards. Chocolate companies started making a lot more money. And soon, Anna Jarvis was so incensed by what her invention had become that she quit her job. She was the first female advertising editor at an insurance company. And she quit to campaign full-time against what Mother's Day had become. Because to her, Mother's Day was all about the feelings inside. It was a day of sentiment. She encouraged people to spend the day with their mom. Write their mom a, a deep, heartfelt letter. Now all she saw was profiteering. And beginning in 1920, she urged people to stop buying flowers for Mother's Day. She couldn't stand those who used or sold greeting cards. One day, she was in Wanamaker's department store, and she saw that they were offering a Mother's Day salad on their menu. It made her so angry that she bought one, turned it upside down on the floor in the middle of the restaurant, put the money for it on top, and stormed out in protest. She threatened lawsuits. She tried to trademark a carnation with the words Mother's Day, but was denied. And she would come in the years to come to refer to florists, greeting card companies, and candy makers as charlatans, bandits, pirates, racketeers, kidnappers, and termites that would undermine with their greed one of the finest and noblest of celebrations. FDD, the floral company, offered her a lucrative commission on the sale of all Mother's Day carnations as a peace offering. That only made her angrier. At the end of her life, she was older, worn, frail from her long fight, and she tragically spent the last days of her life deeply in debt and living in a sanatorium. She regretted until the day she died in 1948 the commercialization that had overtaken Mother's Day. Anna Jarvis was the mother of Mother's Day, but she never married and she never became a mother herself. And she was never told one interesting fact. The bill for her time in the sanatorium was paid for by a group of grateful florists. Now, long before Anna Jarvis ever regretted her invention of Mother's Day, Jesus modeled for the world what it means to truly love your mother. Now, Jesus is the only person in history who the label hypocrite has never stuck to. Over and over and over again. If Jesus preached it, if he taught it, if he wants us to do it, Jesus always modeled that behavior first. And Jesus wants us to honor and love our mothers, and Jesus himself did that. So I've entitled my first point, Jesus Walked the Talk. Now to kind of have the proper understanding and the proper background, we need to actually go into the first half of the Bible, back to Exodus chapter 20, second book in the Bible, and we need to remind ourselves what it contains in Exodus 20. That's the chapter that contains the Ten Commandments. Those ancient moral guidelines given by God that have formed the backbone of the rule of law in Western countries. We tend to think of don't murder, don't lie, don't covet when we think of the Ten Commandments. We tend to forget that there's a special command about honoring fathers and mothers. And unlike most of the other commands, that particular one of the Ten Commandments has a promise attached to it. 
Here it is, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, when we come to Jesus, we need to also remind ourselves that Jesus is God. He's one in essence with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He's separate in his person. So Jesus cannot contradict the words given in the first half of the Bible. To do so would make a split in the Godhead. So Jesus can't contradict those words. And we know that when Jesus was the first child he was, that was born to Mary, he is the oldest son in a good Jewish family. And as such, as the oldest son in a good Jewish family, Jesus bore the responsibility, if his father was to pass away, he needs to take care of his mother. Now, we aren't told in the Bible when Joseph died. But by the time Jesus is on the cross, it's very apparent that Joseph has passed away. And so Jesus, as the oldest son, would have had the responsibility for caring for his mother. And we're about to read an account of what happened when Jesus is actually on the cross. He's been through the worst that you can imagine. The beatings, the floggings, whippings, punchings, all the betrayal, everything that's happened to him. He's now on the cross, dying, experiencing the most, one of the most torturous deaths imaginable. Now hear these amazing words. John 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You see, in first century Palestine, the reality was that if a woman was widowed, if her husband died, then she didn't have the dignity in that culture, she didn't have the legal authority, and she certainly didn't have the financial means to sustain herself. And Jesus, as the oldest son, it was his responsibility to ensure that his mother was taken care of. And so Jesus looks at the apostle John, and he says, John... Take on this responsibility. She is now your mother. And to Mary, John is now your son. So he provided, he made a way to care for his mother. And John doesn't hesitate at all. He takes on that role joyfully. And it's interesting that John's mother was actually there as well. It says in Matthew 27, 56, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And John is referred to many times in the gospel as one of the sons of Zebedee. So John's actual birth mother is there, but he takes on Mary as kind of an adopted second mother. In Jesus' death, Mary loses an earthly son and gains another. In the highest form of son-to-mother love, Jesus provides for the last days of his mother. My second point is entitled, Jesus went from Mary's son to Mary's savior. Now, one of the really interesting things that you might have noticed as I read those verses from John 19, there's, there's one word that really pops out at people when they read this. Let me read it again. This time, I think I underlined it for you. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, 
woman, here is your son. Now, that's a really interesting thing. There's a word in Aramaic, he could have said mother, but Jesus chose the word woman. What is going on here? Now, I know that my own mom, if I walked up to her and I said, hey woman, how's it going? She'd probably like slap me or something. She'd go, I'm not any woman, I'm your mother. So what's going on here? Is, is Jesus being somehow disrespectful to Mary? Well, no, that's, that's not it at all, actually. And scholar R.C.H. Lenski, he was very helpful to me in this. This is what he says. He says, ever since Jesus took up his work of redemption, paying for the debt of humanity's sin, a new relation to his mother took precedence over the old relation of mere mother and son. Jesus was still Mary's son, but she was to see in him also, and above all, her Lord and Savior. Once she had him merely as her son to direct and command as a mother, to obey her motherly wishes, dependent upon her parental position, this yielded to a far higher, holier, and more blessed relation when her son won eternal salvation both for her and everyone else in the world. There's a change in relationship. And Mary ultimately becomes, she's always Jesus' mother, but there's a sense in which he becomes her Savior and her Lord as well. It's a mysterious transformation, but a beautiful and a necessary one. And if you think of, of jumping into Mary's mindset for a moment, what, what an incredible transformation that must have been. I mean, this is her son. This is the little toddler she chased around the yard trying to wipe his runny nose. And now that's gone through an entire transformation. And as he is on the cross paying for the debt of the sin of all humanity, as Jesus had his public ministry and he performed miracle after miracle, as he, as he taught with incredible wisdom and authority, and then ultimately... Three days later, watching her son that was dead rise to the ultimate authority of the universe. Mary's transformation is an incredible one. The same son that was acknowledged as the Lord of glory and the universe. Listen to the words of Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's the Jesus that laid down his life for you and I. Sinful human beings that we are. You and I can be reconciled to the holy Lord of the universe that we have offended. And Jesus, in his death and resurrection, established a new family, the church. And that's the Jesus that incredibly enough invites us to be a part of that new family. That same Jesus that's the Lord of the entire universe is the one who calls you and I friends. 
And the church is ultimately designed and set up to be a level playing field. Listen to the beautiful words of Galatians 3.28. Paul writes, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And it's incredibly level playing field at the foot of the cross. Sadly, the church hasn't always acted like this. At many points in history, the church has been racist. It's looked down on indigenous peoples and been suppressive of women. And it should never have been like that in those times. It wasn't designed that way, and it wasn't supposed to be like that. But when the church gets it right, when the church acts like a beautiful new family, when the church acts as it's supposed to, and everyone's equal, and the, 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 foot of the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, that's when the church becomes a really attractive and a dynamic force for change in our world. And Mary is no different. Mary switches from being Jesus' mother to being a member of the church. And Mary, you know, she was, she's an amazing lady. And sometimes in reaction maybe to some of the Roman Catholic emphasis, Protestant churches have downplayed Mary. But really, Mary's an amazing example of someone who's an incredible follower, an, ex an example of a disciple of Jesus. She was given an incredibly tough assignment one that changed the whole course of, of the world. And she did it gladly. And Mary's relationship, in the end, she had the grace, the understanding, and the knowledge to realize that though she has a special and unique role, in the end, she is a sinful human being. That her son died to pay the price of her sin as well. And that she becomes a part of the church, that new family. Well, for our third and final point this morning, I want to answer the question, now what? We've heard about the origin of Mother's Day. We've seen how Jesus modeled, his, modeled love for his mother Mary from the cross, ensuring her welfare for the rest of her earthly life. We've seen how Jesus' relationship changed with his mother as he, as he moved from son to savior and how we too get to be part of that new reality. All of that is good. All of that is wonderful, good information and knowledge. What are you and I supposed to do with all of it? Well, that's a really good question. I'm so glad you asked this morning. My third point's entitled, We Are Called to Love Our Mom and Our Church. As I said last week, when we looked at the courage of Jesus, Jesus never calls us to do something that he first himself doesn't model. Jesus calls us to love our mother, and he absolutely modeled that for us, even from the horrific pain of the cross. Now, for some of you here this morning, that call to love your mother is actually a difficult one. I know that amongst the millions and millions and millions of incredible mothers out there, there are those who have abandoned their children due to drug or alcohol addiction or mental illness. I don't know what that is like. Uh, this is a picture of my mom, Raleen, and she's been a great mother to me. She cared for me, comforted me, challenged me to do better. I don't know the pain of an absentee mother, but I'm going to say something this morning to every person that has a rocky relationship with their mom, 
because of past hurts and failures. In the example of Jesus, and in that clear call from the Ten Commandments to honor our mother and father, and the new reality of the church that we are all called to be in, all of those aspects mean that if your mom wasn't what she should have been to you, you still need to love her. You still need to make gestures of caring. You still need to do what you can on your part to honor her. Now, as just a normal person, I have no right to say that. But the text has the authority to challenge us to do that this morning. And I don't do that lightly. I know that for many, many people, there's, there's a real strained relationship or a broken relationship. And that can be so difficult and so hard. And the timing is in God's hands. As the old saying goes, mud falls off better when it's dry. You'll know when the right time is to reach out and try to cross that broken relationship. But as painful and as hard as it is, Scripture challenges us to follow the example of Jesus and to love our mother and honor her. Now, for probably the majority of us here this morning, that painful reality is not the case. Our mothers aren't perfect, but we have a great relationship with them. And I think we're called to honor and love our mother. And the church is the new reality. Listen to the direct and powerful call of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus loved the church so much that he died to establish it. We are called to love the church like Jesus did. Now here's a news flash: The church isn't perfect. Okay, maybe that wasn't much of a news flash. It's full of sinful people, and we tend to upset each other. Despite the fact that we are called to love each other, forgive our faults, and work together. But again, Scripture calls us. It says, despite our differences, despite the reality that sometimes we rub each other the wrong way, that ultimately what we are a part of is so important. It's so important, and it's what ultimately Jesus chooses to use to transform our world. Well, we began today with the fascinating and tragic story of Anna Jarvis, the inventors of Mother's Day, who lost control of her invention. She did everything from good intentions, but couldn't see where her idea would end up, a commercialized special day. Now, Maybe you're here this morning and you're a florist or a chocolate maker, a greeting card seller. You're pretty thankful for Anna Jarvis. Now, unlike Anna Jarvis, what Jesus modeled for all of humanity by treating his mother with extreme dignity and love despite the worst circumstances imaginable, that has not been commercialized. I don't want to leave us today with two pretty simple conclusions. Jesus calls us to follow in his footsteps and love our mother, and love our church. I think that if we do all of those two things well, it's going to help transform our world. Amen? Amen. Kaylin, will you come and pray for us? Good morning. So, really grateful for uh, the influence that I've had in my life with some strong women, and uh, 
but just really quickly, um, my dad raised me as a single father. My mom uh, left when I was about 10 months old. And to make a 40-year story very short, um, I made a, a trip about 18 months to or two years ago to go see my mom. And uh, this is what God can do. Um, I just said, you know what, I need to come to a point of forgiveness of myself and, and of her. And I sat down with her at a, um, a dinner one evening. I went from Ottawa, Ontario, flew to see her in Seattle. And um, I looked at her and I said, I want you to know that I'm so sorry that I wasn't there for you as a son. And in that, um, she broke. I mean, it was, and I broke. And the, the reconciliation that came was really powerful. In the last two years, we really have had a, you know, um, uh, it was like God restored my love for a person I never knew. You know, there was a void there. And that came because, really because of him. And, you know, nothing is perfect by any means, but we're moving into that relationship that I always long for to have with my mom. And the reason why I'm telling you that is is, is what, what Darren said. If there's, if you don't have that with, you know, with your mom or your dad, but with your mom as of today, um, I just gave it to Jesus. And I said, I need you to heal my heart and I need you to lead me. And, uh, and, if, you, and if you surrender that pain, he's going to take it. And, and uh, he'll make a way for that to happen in his timing. So let's pray. We thank you for our mothers. To them, you've entrusted the care of every precious human life from its very beginning in the womb. You've given to women the capacity of participating with you in the creation of new life. May every woman come to understand the full meaning of that blessing, which gives her an unlimited capacity for selfless love for every child she may have the privilege to bear and for all your children. Watch over every mother who is with child, strengthen her faith, in your fatherly care and love for her and for her unborn baby. Give her courage in times of fear or pain, understanding in times of uncertainty and doubt, and hope in times of trouble. Grant her joy in the birth of her child. To mothers, you have given the great privilege and responsibility of being a child's first teacher and spiritual guide. Empower the mothers in our midst to foster the faith of their children following the example of Mary, Elizabeth, and other holy women who follow Christ. Help mothers to grow daily in the knowledge and understanding of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and grant them the wisdom to impart this knowledge faithfully to their children and to all who depend upon them. Assist the spiritual mothers, those who, though they may have no children of their own, nevertheless selflessly care for, their children, or for the children of others of every age and state in life. Grant that they may know the joy of fulfilling this motherly calling of women, whether in teaching, nursing, religious life, or in other work which recognizes and fosters the true dignity of every human being created in your image and likeness. We beseech you to send the, your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to all mothers who sorrow for children that have died, are ill or estranged from their families, or who are in trouble or in danger of any kind. Help grieving mothers to rely on your tender mercy and fatherly love for all your children. We ask your blessing uh, on all those to whom you've entrusted motherhood. May your Holy Spirit constantly inspire and strengthen them, and may uh, they ever follow the example of Mary, mother of our Lord, and imitate her uh, fidelity, her humility, and her self-giving love. 
May they feel an extra blessing and sense of support by our broader community as we celebrate them. We ask this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.